Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being together um, here at this convention. We pray that our time together would further our walk with you, that you would, through this meeting, through the other meetings that we attend, that you'd speak to our hearts about the need for our commitment to you. Um, we're just grateful to be your children. We're grateful for the providences you place us in and that you lead us through in order to fulfill your will in our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I start, I'm supposed to tell you that this is recorded on Audioverse. So if you want to share it with your friends or if people want to download it, it's there. So I think I fulfilled my legal responsibilities, right? We can get into the presentation. My name is Stephen Grabner, and I work with an organization called Outpost Centers International. It's um, a network of organizations that are involved in missions. Our booth is at 519. You can come up there if you'd like more information. But I was asked to talk about this transition from the professional life to professional missionary. Now, a couple of people have asked a question as they read the blurb in the magazine. Are you really going to be talking about what to do in our jobs as evangelists, or are you going to be talking about transitioning to mission work? And the email that I originally got was to emphasize what it takes for people to leave their jobs, their vocations, and move into full-time mission work, whether that's overseas or whether that's here in the United States. So that's kind of the background that we're going to be doing. If you were hoping that this was going to be a class in, or a seminar in evangelistic techniques in your job, you'll be disappointed. We will talk a little bit about it. But mostly we're going to be talking about the things that go through people's minds when they sense that call to be involved in cross-cultural missions. And what we're going to do, we're going to have four basic areas just to outline what we're going to do this morning together in our time allotted. And that is, first of all, we're going to talk about this call to service, which every Christian experiences. Amen? With the call to be a Christian is a call to service. And one of the great lacks in our church today, worldwide church, our local church communities, is this concept, this idea, this separation that I could be a Christian without really being involved in service. I think someone with a lot more wisdom than I have called that a fatal delusion. To think that, you know, I can just go to church, I can just receive benefits and not give anything out. We're all called, as we follow Christ, we're also called into service. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll look at a couple of scriptures as well. And then we're going to talk about the call to cross-cultural service. How do we sense when God's calling us from the plow, so to speak, into full-time missions? And then we're going to talk to some people that have made that transition. It's nice, we've got some folks from AFM here, a friend from uh, Malawi, Lisa, who worked with us in, in Zambia and Riverside. And we're going to hear some experiences of individuals who have sensed God speaking to them and then have stepped out in faith. And I think that'll be, probably be the most interesting part, to hear some of the struggles that people go through trying to discern, is God calling me? Is he really opening this up? And then walking through those doors. And then lastly, we'll be giving you some real-life situations, some circumstances um, that would be very embarrassing in a different culture, and we're going to ask you to get in small groups and say, okay, well, what, you do, what would you do in this situation? Kind of maybe test your am I ready for mission life experience. So you're going to cooperate with that, right? Yeah, I think that'll be fairly interesting as well. You know, it is very different. I want to say this. Again, just by way of background, you might have read it. I served as a pastor for 11 years in southern New England, then had the opportunity of going overseas into Africa and to Zambia for about 10 years, and now I work with mission organizations all, all around the world. And, you know, mission work is a lot of everyday work. Now, mission stories, you know, people write, AFM puts out a fantastic magazine, and you get all these different magazines where people talk about, yeah, mission work and all these great things, and, but you know, it's a lot of work. Just grunt, work. And so if we're thinking, well, I'm going to go be a missionary because that's going to be a glorified experience, you can cross that off your motivation list. Those of us that are involved in mission work in the United States, those overseas, we realize that it's simply a call to be a Christian where we are, 
And a vast majority of that time is just life, being a Christian in the everyday world. Which brings us back, you know, to the first call again, and that's that call to service, that Christ has called each of us to service. Now, excuse me, got my Bible over here. We're going to look at Matthew 28. which I'm sure most of you have memorized, right? Just one amen out of this group. Thank you. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? There's a lot of sermons in this one passage. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. I'm reading from the New American Standard. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Amen. Isn't that great news? All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, King James says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages, or the end of the world, the King James. Tremendous passage, right? All authority, all power, all prerogatives, all wisdom, all guidance in heaven and on earth is given to me, Jesus said. But then there's a response. And what's that? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, it's been pointed out in a couple of sermons. I remember hearing Pastor Finley several years back unpack this passage a little bit where he focused on the four alls of the passage. You know, all authority, nothing to worry about. Everything's under Jesus' control. All nations shows the scope of our charge, that we're to go the, to the entire world. All things, we're to communicate everything that Jesus has communicated to us. And then the King James says, um, Lo, I am with you always. The Greek says, I am with you all the days. So there's never a moment in our life when Jesus isn't with us. Even when it seems the darkest, even when it seems like our work is, is coming to nothing, even when the future looks perplexing, I'm with you all the days. But there's something else that's very interesting in this passage. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Matthew writes this passage, and he uses a, a participle in the Greek, and the intent of the thought is, in the going make disciples. Now, too often we read this and we think, okay, go therefore and make disciples. In other words, okay, here I am, and now I'm going to go out and make disciples. But the intent of the underlying Greek is, in the act of going, make disciples. In other words, in your movement about in your daily life, you should be making disciples. We heard a little bit about that last night when Justin kind of shared with Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. And you love real-life experiences, don't you? You know, fresh from the... Well, I've got one to share. You know, I was, had an encounter with someone today, and it didn't go very well um, because of me. You know, we were talking about something, and it was a staff person, and I was irritated, and um, they weren't being helpful. They were stonewalling, and I, you know, walked away, and then it was like, what's that? Where is the going and making disciples in that kind of an encounter? Have you ever had an experience like that? I mean, I love the positive stories as well, but we need to be realistic that there's plenty of other unfortunate stories where in our going, <coughs> we're not always very representative of our master. But that's what this passage is saying. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. So don't worry about the small stuff. Because in your going, in your life, in your movement, make disciples. And that's really important for us to realize that, you know, there's not this separation between, okay, well, I'm going to be a missionary and I'm going to go overseas and then I'm going to be a spiritual person when at home I'm really a bear to live with. That kind of dichotomy doesn't work. It happens all over the place. But that's not the point of this passage. The point is, as you go, as you live your life, make disciples. And part of making disciples is, yes, that they would be baptized and that they would be taught.
but it's making disciples, making followers of Jesus Christ. That's part of the call to every one of us. Amen? Every person, every Christian, whether we never leave the confines of our neighborhood, you know, whether that's, you know, we never get on an airplane. Can you believe it? I was on an airplane the other day, amazingly, and there was somebody next to me. It was the first time they'd ever flown. Now, for someone that flies, you know, about 100,000 miles a year to sit next to somebody that's never flown, it's like, wow, really? You know, do, you, do you still exist? Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people like that, right? Sorry. Um, and there's people that never leave their neighborhood, but they make disciples because they're living for Christ right there. And so that's really important. Every Christian is called to be a follower. Let's look at another passage, John chapter 15. John 15, in verse 8, Jesus, this wonderful passage, you're familiar with it, where Jesus is talking about being the the relation between the vine and the branches. And then finally in verse 8, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this. By this is, as we pray, God will answer those prayers. If you abide in him, his words abide in us. And whatever we wish, whatever we ask for, we'll receive because he's abiding in us. That's verse 7. Verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. I like the way that translation brings it out. We give evidence of our discipleship by fruit bearing. The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, kindness, goodness, temperance, self-control. You know, we bear fruit. We show that we are followers of Christ by our lives. So that's the call for every one of us. And a couple of quotations for you. Um, For those of us that may never go overseas, the businessman or woman may conduct his business in a way that will glorify his master because of his fidelity. The mechanic may be a diligent and faithful representative of him who toiled in the lowly walks of life among the hills of Galilee. So wherever we are, uh, you know, housewife, we're a businessman, we're a businesswoman, we're a nurse, we're a doctor. Whatever field the Lord calls us in, we can demonstrate the, that Christian experience. And that's really important, isn't it? <clears throat> in the book Education, there's a tremendous passage, page 267, I believe. It's the chapter called The Life Work. And in that chapter called The Life Work, Ellen White gives a few rules that will ensure guidance in the choice of an occupation. Now, it's too bad we couldn't package that and market it. But here are rules, Ellen White says, that ensure guidance in the choice of an occupation. They're very simple. Would you like to know what they are? Very simple. Number one, commit yourself to God. Well, that's foundational. We're here talking about Christians being involved in service. Number two is the most difficult. Do your best at the work that lies nearest. Why is that most difficult? Because we would rather do something else. (laughs) Do your best at the work that lies nearest. And the third point is, watch for the indications of his providence. These are rules that ensure guidance in the choice of an occupation. Powerful, simple, A, B, C. Commit yourself to God. Do your best in what's right in front of you and watch for the indications of his providence. That could be, you know, they're simple, but they're difficult to incorporate into life. Um, Again, because we'd like to do something grander. Let me ask the question here. You're a bit quiet this morning. How many of you would like to feel like your life made a bigger splash than it's currently making for the kingdom of God? Anybody? Yeah, okay. You know, all of us, like, yeah, I wish I could. No, I look around and I see you raising your hands. I know some of you. And I'm like, oops. And I'm like, don't you understand what your life's doing? I mean, you know, John raises his hands, AFM, Frank raises his hands. People that I know is making a tremendous impact. And yet we're always like, oh, I'm not really doing anything. We're looking in the wrong place, aren't we? We need to be focused. I'm surrendered. 
I'm doing my best at whatever God puts in front of me, and I'm watching for his providence. Not too eagerly, by the way, but, you know, just watching for his providence. Well, this quote continues. Everyone who names the name of Christ should so work that others, by seeing his good works, may be led to glorify their creator and their redeemer. Everyone who's doing their work in front of them uh, can, can live in such a way that others can see this and be led to glorify Christ. Pardon me, that's from Steps to Christ, page 82. And then continuing on, the humblest and poorest of the disciples of Jesus can be a blessing to others. They may not realize they are doing any special good, but by their influence, unconscious influence, they may start waves of blessing that widen and deepen, and the blessed results they may never know until the day of final reward. That's a powerful sentence. I remember there where I was the first time I read that, again, from Steps to Christ. I used to work at a place called Oak Haven. It's in Michigan. It's a mission place, and they have a granola factory there. And I worked in the 1970s making granola in the granola factory. And I remember one day they had this huge vat that you pour dates and lecithin and oil in and honey, and then it heats it and turns it, and then it pours out on the oats, and you put it on the trays, and then you have to bake it. And then someone has to clean it up. You ever tried to clean up lecithin? You know, it's just a mess. And so that was my job, was to clean the, the vat. And this Steps to Christ was stuck behind a pipe on the wall, and it was open to this page. I remember reading it. The humblest and poorest disciples unconsciously can start waves of influence that go out and out and out, and we'll not know the end until the end. Tremendously encouraging. I am with you all the days. She goes on to say, they do not feel or know that they are doing anything great. They are not required to weary themselves with anxiety about success. They have only to go forward quietly, doing faithfully the work that God's providence assigns, and their life will not be in vain. Amen. Amen. Commit ourselves to God, watch for the indications of his providence, and do our best at the work that lies closest before us. So whatever field we're in, we need to be aware that God's calling us to serve him right there. But now what about that call, that call out to mission service? How does it come? You know, very few people get a neon sign that says, go. I don't know anybody that's gotten an email as of yet that said, you know, now is your time to leave where you are. Maybe somebody has from a friend that encouraged them to go. You know, but how do we understand, how do we discern the difference between, okay, here I am, I'm faithfully doing what God has for me, I'm, I'm following him. How do I know these, this feeling or this longing to go overseas is really from God or not? We think back to Abraham, Genesis 12, in verse 1 where Abraham got the call. How did Abraham get that call? Yeah, he was listening to who? To God. But he heard a voice, didn't he? I mean, I think that's the way the text tells us. You know, the Lord spoke to Abraham, to Abram at that time, and said, it's time for you to get up and leave and go. And, you know, it's interesting. We think about this. I don't know if you've thought too much about what it was like for Abram to leave the comforts of Babylon where he lived, um, Ur of the Chaldees, reading about it, you know, they had indoor plumbing there, which you laugh, but Europe didn't have indoor plumbing until like the 15, 16, 1700s, but they had indoor plumbing back in Abraham's day. They had, you know, water systems. It was a very advanced civilization for its day. It's amazing. There are little islands also in the Mediterranean Sea that were destroyed by volcanoes that, again, were hundreds and hundreds of years advanced, more advanced than Europe became. Tremendous losses that took place. But Abraham's called, okay, I want you to leave your flush toilets and I want you to go live in a tent. Do you get the point? Had some missionaries come to Zambia where I was, and I remember one fellow particularly, and um, the toilet in the building where he was staying was outside. Uh, it was a pit toilet. 
And so he went in there the first time, and I remember he came back to me and he said, Pastor Grabner, there are spiders in there. <laughs> so I, you know, kind of shrugged my shoulders. Yeah, I know there's spiders in there. There's a lot of spiders over here. But, you know, the gap. Can I really leave the comforts of home? What's it really like to leave family? And I look back to my experience as well. And I, when I moved over to Africa, I had three children, took them away, ripped them away from their grandmother, and, you know, uh, just moved out not knowing where we were going. I knew where we were going, we were going to Riverside, but leaving a, a whole sense of security in terms of job security and insurances and different things like that, and moving overseas. So how does this take place? What are the factors that come into play to help people to make this kind of decision? Well, here's this call. Go overseas. Come, follow me. And Jesus tells us in John 14, well, let me give you a few things here, and let's think about this again. You know, how does God bring us to this point? Neon lights? Not likely. Direct email? Very rarely. Phone call right at the right time? Maybe. That happens. Um, sometimes that, for those phone calls are a distraction or a discouragement. Um, sometimes it's simply this inward dissatisfaction with what we're doing. And a sense that God's like, you know, I, I want you to do something else. I want to expand your influence. I want to bring you from where you are to someplace else. And remember, for every one person that jumps the gun and goes when they shouldn't, there are 10 people still standing on the starting line and they're not moving forward. And many of us perhaps need to step out and move forward at God's call. Well, let's think about a few issues to consider here. First of all, as I just mentioned, we spent some time, am I following God in the present? What's my mission life like right now? If I'm thinking, well, I'm going to go overseas as a missionary so I could really live for Christ, that should be a danger signal to us. Because we need to live for Christ right here. If I'm simply dissatisfied, that's not necessarily uh, a call to go. In fact, it's a caution to us. Am I following God right now? Am I committed where I am? Am I doing what I can do in my sphere? Or am I trying to create experiences? Um, I served, as I mentioned earlier, for 11 years as a pastor and then worked overseas for a number of years. And a few years ago, I came back and worked with OCI. And uh, when I'm in Tennessee, where I live, I attend a church, and for you know, a year and a half or so, two years, attending that church, um, it's going to shock you, I know, but they never asked me to preach. You know, I know it's a big church, 2,000 members or something. I'm just a little nobody in that church. Um, a little nobody generally as well, but particularly in that church. And you know, I began to feel like, you know, I need to start preaching someplace. And so we began to pray. And the Lord led a small group of us to start a church plant with the blessing of the mother church. Now, right now, it's fantastic. We've got about 120 members coming, and the church members are using their talents. And one of the motivating forces for starting this church plant was, there's a lot of churches in the area where I live. They're all large. But here was this pocket, this one area near the city of Chattanooga. There was no Adventist church. And there were church members that were like, we have talents. We need to use them. So they stepped out of their comfort zone, starting a church. Are you using your God-given gifts where you are? And if you're not, don't think it's just the circumstances. Begin to look for ways to expand your horizons, expand your boundaries, and use your gifts. So am I following God where I am? Secondly, I need to recognize the gifts that God has given me. God is not surprised by you being on the planet at this point in time. God knows your background, he knows your history, he knows your culture, he knows you know, what formed you, the childhood experiences you had, your personality type, your mental development, everything about you, and he's given you unique gifts. Isn't that a blessing? Yeah. You know, we're so, I'll speak in the first person, I'm so competitive. You know, someone else has this gift, oh, I wish I could do that, I wish I could sing like Jennifer, except in a lower key. Um, uh, you know, what gifts do I have? We're, Use the gifts that God has given you. Recognize your gifts. And then begin to honestly assess, can my gifts be utilized overseas? 
would they really fit in a, in a mission field, in a different kind of a field, whether that mission field is in the US or it's cross-cultural, whether it's overseas? Well, recognize the gifts that God's given to you. Flame that desire. You know, if you begin to feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you know, maybe I'm calling you overseas, don't quench that, but encourage it. How? Well, dialogue with people. You know, read AFM magazine, read OCI reports, uh, go to places where people are talking about mission work, go on a mission trip and, you know, encourage that desire and then see how you're responding. See if that desire begins to grow. And if it begins to shrink, begin to ask yourself, well, why is it shrinking? Ah, oh, yeah, I really thought I wanted to go to the mission field until I found out I have to eat beans and rice every day. You know, what is it, or shima and relish, or whatever, you know, what is it that may turn you off from that desire? And then examine that. Is that coming from God, that lessening of the desire, or is that just a manifestation of self? And then begin to move forward, begin to take some steps. What do I mean by that? Get some counsel from other people in your church. Ask uh, pastor, elders, tell them, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this and I've been thinking God's calling me. What do you think? You know, God's put us in a community, in a body for a purpose, for a reason. And there's other people that can see things in us that we can't see as well. And they can strengthen us. And they say, yes, you know, I really think that you should go forward. Talk to people that are involved in missions. Ask them, well, what's it really like? Begin to explore this. So those are some positive aspects, but there's some cautionary things as well I'd like to uh, bring up with you. And first of all, here is to explore your motives. And you really begin to ask yourself, what is driving me? Is it dissatisfaction? Am I going from something or am I going to something? What's my motivation for wanting to be a missionary? And this second one here, a friend of mine put that phrase together, I like it, the Lone Ranger Syndrome. Now, if you've read anything about the great missionaries, you know, uh, David Livingston or any of those guys, Moffat, any of those folks, you find out something pretty quickly. They all got along splendidly with the nationals and horribly with fellow expatriates. There seems to be something about the mindset of a person that will go as a missionary that, you know, they can't get too close. Not all of them, of course. You know, I'm an exception. And, um, no, sorry. Uh, you know, they, there's this idea, well, I'm, I'm just going to do this by myself, and I prefer to do it by myself. Livingston is a classic case. You know, just walking all over Africa. Great with the Africans. Horrible with... Uh, fellow Scots or Brits that would come work with them. He had no sympathy for them. If they couldn't keep up with them, phew, let them stay and die, whatever, you know. Horrendous. So we need to be aware of this Lone Ranger syndrome that I'm going to go and I'm going to rescue people. It's going to be me and I'm going to rescue things. No, God's going to use this as a tool in his hands. And then another point here is don't be detour deterred by obstacles. Obstacles come all the time. Well, you know, you're not really qualified enough. Or, well, what can you do? You know, there's all sorts of obstacles that, that arise. And sometimes those are obstacles, are providential indications from God. No, this really isn't for you. Sometimes those are just obstacles to test our hearts. Are you really committed to this? You know, are you really sensing that God's call is, is in you and that you're going to move through these obstacles? We're not called to be mastered by circumstances, but to do what? to master circumstances. Okay. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about transitions. And to do this, um, John, why don't you come up for a minute? Oh. And so those listening, everyone needs to speak into this. Um, John Baxter works with AFM. He's in charge of human resources there. And how long did you spend in India? Nine years. Nine years in India. Great. Good chunk of life. And I've never been to India, never had the privilege. Really? Yeah. But I admire anybody that would live in India for nine years. Um, and John, again, has worked with AFM, a tremendous organization which sends missionaries around the world. And he's got a few here that have made a transition or are making the transition. And they're going to take a few minutes each and share a little bit. And then Elisa Brown's going to share a little bit about her experience of what it was like to be a professional 
and then move in to the professional missionary. Some kind of the thoughts that they went through, experiences, just kind of open their hearts a little bit with us. Great. Thank you, Steve. Um, I won't share my story, but just so you know, I used to be an international banker in New York City, and that's where God called me from to become a missionary. So any bankers here will talk. Uh, I'll send you the email he was talking about. Uh, anyway, I'd like to introduce what we were going to do is uh, we have a family here, Glenn and Melody Roper, if you can come on up. And uh, they look very nice in their Laotian outfits. Um, I want them to tell a little bit of their story of, of their transition. They are preparing to go out. Um, they haven't gone out yet, but they're getting ready to go out as missionaries, full-time missionaries. And we're talking about long-term service, six, eight, ten years. And uh, just, if you would, explain a little bit, Glenn and Melody, about uh, how it is that God called you and what the transition is like for you. And you need to speak to both of these. Thank you. Our transition is taking uh, shape over several years. Uh, we sort of started, uh, you could say, probably in, uh, in college. We met at Andrews University. That's where we attended. Uh, Melody, Melody served as a student missionary to Zaire back in the 70s. Um, I was just one of the supporters at home. I helped raise funds to send Melody and some other friends of mine to go as student missionaries, but I never actually did any mission work overseas. I was active in the local church and so forth, but never as, as, as a, call, a professional missionary. But over the years, we, that, that seed was planted, and over the years, we had a desire to serve as, uh, as missionaries. Uh, sometimes, you know, some people look for that bright flash, that, you know, moment when the Lord told you. I said for me, it, it was sort of a gradual thing. It just grew over the years. I, I grew up in the church. I heard many mission stories. I told mission stories in Sabbath school as a youngster. Uh, but it didn't come to me as uh, I should be the missionary at that time. Uh, we both are professionals. Melody is an elementary school teacher, and I'm an architect by training. And we have, um, uh, we over the years thought about being a missionary, and it just didn't work out until about 2005 when uh, someone came to our church. Uh, his name is Dr. Ken Yu. He came to our church and told us about the opportunities to preach, I mean, to teach uh, English and Bible in Korea. And we said, well, this is probably an opportunity that we've been wanting. In the interest of time, there were other stories that led up to this where we had ideas of wanting to be a missionary, but we were disappointed. Things didn't work out. And maybe God was telling us, wait, this is not your turn, you know? And so, but when Ken, you came to our church and made a presentation, I felt, well, maybe I qualified. I speak English. I had a bachelor's degree in and Adventist, and that was basically all you needed. I said, great. Let's. <laughs> and so we decided that we would try it, and we applied, and the next thing they want us to go. And, but we had a, a career to, to wrap up. I was working uh, at a time in, uh, in Detroit, working on a major project in the school system. Uh, Melia was teaching in the church school in, in Alba. And we had to decide how do we make that transition. We had to complete our projects. And for us, the call came in, in, in that God was telling us, at least to me, very slowly that he wants us over there. I have a philosophy that uh, if God asks me to do something, unless I know absolutely that I'm not I don't have the ability, I can't say no. If he asked me to sing a solo, I said, Lord, I think you need to pass on that. But he'll have to give him the gift. But, uh, you know, if there was anything else that he could call me to do, I would at least go forth. And so with that in mind, uh, when the opportunity came for us to go to South Korea, we did. We served the year, and then we came back and decided we would get back into our careers. But God had a plan. This is where the, uh, sometimes you get that email call. In our case, we got a visit from Paul Palandini. He was, he's part of the AFM team, and we had known him over the years. And he knew we were in town in Bering Springs at the time. We had just gotten back from Korea, and he said, uh, well, why don't we just come and visit? Let's have lunch, and let's go to uh, and, and tour the AFM 
uh, offices. We did that, and at the end of the visit, they asked us to apply to be career missionaries. And we said, whoa, how many years, you know? And we were thinking, well, there are a lot of obstacles. We, you look at us, you won't know it, but we have four grandkids. Uh, we have two grown kids who are married, and we have four grandkids. And we were thinking, wow, we just love to watch our kids, the grandkids grow and play. And aging parents. And aging parents. And so, <laughs> and so we were asked, you know, should we go to, um, we wanted to make that transition to, to be our career missionaries. And we said to them, well, it wasn't our plans exactly, but um, we'll pray about it. And by the way, there are many obstacles we have to overcome. And the response that came back from AFM spoke volumes to us. It said, basically, the more obstacles, the better. Because if God wants you to go, he will remove them. And so with that, we said, well, let's pray about it. And we did, and we decided then to go through the application process. And God has uh, removed those obstacles, and he's removing them uh, one by one. The uh, uh, reason that we're here today, but we actually live in Tucson, and we've only been in Tucson a little over a year and a half. And we came out here because of a job opportunity uh, in, in, in the field of my field career in architecture. And we thought when we got the job, it was wonderful. Everything just seemed wonderful. And one of my concerns was, uh, how are we going to transition into becoming a missionary? And God blessed in that he removed all those obstacles. And he's prepared us to go over, overseas. And um, we'll share, we'll let you, if you want to talk more details, we'll give you some more. But we'll, we'll pass on and let somebody else take over. Thank you very much, Glenn and Melody. Mostly Glenn. <laughs> I'm not sure how that, that always works that way, doesn't it? Um, not always, but. I don't, you want me to share my little story? Okay, just uh, very briefly, I'll share. I, uh, I had a radical conversion experience, and if you want to hear a little bit about that, I'll talk to you about it later. But uh, I was working at Park Avenue in New York City, uh, for what is now J.P. Morgan Chase Manhattan Bank, managing, when I got the call, about uh, $5 billion. And, but I had just had this radical conversion experience, and I asked God, what do you want me to do? And this is what I'd like to encourage any and all of you to pray. What do you want me to do, God? I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Just show me. Now, that's nice and easy to say, but to work through the, the logistics and, and getting through that uh, and some of the stuff that's in our hearts and the, the, the logistics in our, in our lives, uh, I had to stay at the bank and work for two more years to get rid of all my debt. Not something I thought about, but God worked that out. Um, dealing with fear. Uh, still working on that but God leading me in those ways. And, uh, and one of, one, my friends here, I'm, I work with them, and, and I think they could probably confirm this. Um, oftentimes, the transition, God uses the transition to help prepare you for what you're going to experience overseas. And, uh, you know, I uh, marvel, uh, my wife and I, we went to uh, this town to visit, a town I'd been praying for in India, for two and a half years, it was, it's a whole long story, but uh, we went to visit this town, um, and while we're there, they gave us permission to, they actually gave us an abandoned church and a place to live free in the middle of a Hindu heartland where there was 0.14% Christians, zero Adventists, and they said, if you come back, we'll give you these buildings, no charge, and I was, fired up. I mean, I prayed for this place for two, two and a half years. I go there, they give this to us. I've got to go. And I come back and God raises the support in this incredibly fast period of time. We get back, I don't even know it, but we get back into India um, the last possible day. And I didn't know it was the last possible day, but for the type of visa that we had, we get back into the country the last possible day we could have, or we would have had to have waited in a whole nother year. 
we get back to the town where we're supposed to live and they don't give us a church and they don't give us a place to live. <laughs> and well, you know, talk about transitions and surprise and well, overcoming some obstacles and uh, you know, it's 124 degrees. My wife is seven months pregnant. Her ankles are swollen bigger than my thighs. And, um, and the electric company goes on strike for 15 days and I've got malaria again. So, um, not all that stuff was fun, but here's the, what's that? In retrospect. In retrospect, I can laugh. <laughs> but really, um, th this is really the, the, the amazing thing is uh, my love for Jesus Christ and my appreciation for what he's done for me and what he's done for other people grown so much because he's helped me to go through those things. You know, and I don't know if it's for you here in the United States, uh, you may have personal experiences where he, you're going through some challenges and he can help you through those things. He may be calling you, I believe that. Gabriel, I'm looking at you and I'm going, man, this guy is committed. Somehow we've got to get you out. I'm not sure how, but we've got to do something. Uh, and I, I'm going to pray for a miracle. I saw you here, it's like, whoa, we've got to pray for this guy, okay? Um, I don't know, others of you, where you're at, what you're thinking, but I'm going to put a little plug in here. I don't want to, um, I don't want to lessen the work that needs to happen here in the United States. Uh, as we watch our, our country slip into the abyss, uh, there, but there's still a tremendous amount of light. I mean, the fact that here we are at ASI, there's these GYC meetings, there's a lot of good things going on. I want to encourage those of you who are here, young people particularly, but people who are seasoned, and I'll use that term loosely, um, we also need some people who, who have mature leadership skills to go into places where they've never heard the gospel before. Because if we don't, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, they're going to be on this planet. I, you know. Maybe I'm preaching. I, I need to give you the mic. Last, last thing here, okay? You're doing a great job. Thank you, thank you. Um, I want to ask a question. Do you believe Jesus Christ could come in your lifetime? Amen. I really believe that. I actually could do the math for you, but I don't have time. It, it would not be so radical to do that, provided all of us, and in particular, the children and grandchildren we may be raising and influencing would pray that prayer. God, I love you with all my heart. I will go anywhere. I will do anything. Prepare me, show me, lead me, and take me there. And, and then, then the Holy Spirit will fall with power on us in our witnesses, and then the end shall come little preaching there, sorry. That's quite all right. <laughs> I, I kind of believe it too, so. Yes. Lisa? So I hope somebody's heart is being stirred to respond to John's appeal. I'll have to come have him back up right before we close as well. Lisa? Lisa Brown, I first met her in Zambia. She came as a student missionary and then worked as an accountant in Florida and is now again serving as a missionary. Thank you. I um, had several opportunities to do mission work. Um, went on a mission trip as a senior in high school, and then after graduating from college, decided I wanted to go somewhere where I could use my degree, and um, ended up going to Riverside and was the accountant there for a year, and that's where I met um, Pastor Grabner and his family. One of the things that I appreciated that he mentioned was, um, I remember an email that he sent me when I was preparing to go, and he said, to be honest, it's hard, so be sure you want to come. <laughs> and I really appreciated that because I wanted, it to, I wanted someone to be honest with me and not just tell me a mission story. Um, but anyways, after coming back from um, Zambia, I went and worked in Florida for five years with Adventist Health System. And while I was there, I went on a mission trip to Peru. And um, 
I have to say that it was, for me, it sort of was like a light bulb moment. Um, I remember sitting on the bus while I was in Peru and having this strong impression that my purpose in life was service. And I remember sitting there and tears were running down my face and I was um, just looking at these people and I had a strong impression that it wasn't in South America, but it was service. And because of my experience in Africa, um, for any, how, how many of you have been to Africa? I see hands, okay. For those of you that have been there, you might be able to relate that when you've gone to Africa, somehow you leave a little part of your heart there. And I felt like, okay, somehow I know that God wants me to serve. But as Pastor Governor said earlier, um, I felt really called to service anywhere, at home or wherever I was. Um, I was involved a lot with young adult ministries and moved, uh, ended up moving to Chicago and helping to open a hospital in Chicago. And all of that was sort of a calling as well because I didn't really want to move to Chicago and um, didn't really want to take this job, but it seemed like a good opportunity and good experience. And um, also with the encouragement of friends, um, Christy, uh, sitting next to you there, is a good friend of mine, and she also is in Malawi. Um, we live together, and we've been friends since college, and um, she is a doctor, and as she went through medical school and residency, we've always kept in touch, and she would say, Lisa, when are you going to go to Africa? Are you going to come with me? <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't know. You know, I'm working on my master's degree. I'm busy. I'm trying to open a hospital. You know, I don't have time for this. And... Um, so it ended up that um, she finished residency and looked for a place to go in Africa and ended up getting a calling to Malawi. And she called me and told me she was leaving and it sort of hit me that I wasn't going. And I sort of um, realized that I really wanted to go but I was still obviously really busy with my um, job and couldn't go at that moment. But um, through different connections and obviously a lot of encouragement from my friends and my family being very supportive, um, I was able to contact the organization that um, Christy was working with and um, talked with them in the end of February last year. And I was in Malawi in July. So amazing things happened. Um, People, a lady at work walked up to me and said, Lisa, are you thinking about selling your car? <laughs> no, but <laughs> do you want to buy it? <laughs> Things like that happen. And um, obviously my family um, have been very supportive. And uh, my brother and his wife have quite a bit of land and some space. And they said, you know, if, you're, if you need a place to store your things, we have plenty of room. You can store it for free. You have a home whenever you need to to come back to. And, um, and God has just really been blessed, blessing me. And um, as far as the transition between professional in America and a professional in Africa, um, I think I'm still trying to figure it out. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of challenges. Um, it's interesting to tell people that, you, you know, when I was telling my coworkers I was leaving, I got all different kinds of responses everything from why in the world would you want to go there to wow that's great and how can we help you and what can we do um, but I also think that it's been really rewarding and I just want um, to emphasize what Steve was saying that when you feel a calling it, it's hard to even identify it as a calling but you feel like something's just not right and I honestly don't necessarily think that there'll be a sign or some voice in the sky or something like that. But looking for opportunities, talking to people. Um, I have a couple of very good friends that are mentors that have been very encouraging to me in different areas of ministry. And when I um, talked to them and I said, you know, this is something I'm thinking about, but I wasn't sure, you know, I was leaving a good job and leaving all the securities of and volunteering. I mean, I'm, I'm not paid anything really, just a stipend. 
but I was leaving all these things, and, and um, when I told my friends that I was thinking about this, they said, Elisa, you have to. This is what you've always wanted to do. Why are you even, why are you even having second thoughts? We don't understand. <laughs> and so because of those kind of relationships and the, that community that we have around us, that's, I think, a big um, thing that God uses to help us know when it's the right time. And the other thing I want to say is that I really think that it has to be something that you enjoy doing. Um, if you go, if you are not interested at all in like numbers, say, and you have to go and be the administrator or manage, you know, the financial end of things, and you hate that, that may not be the exact right position. Or, you know, if they need a doctor and you're not a doctor, then don't do that either. <laughs> so I just want to encourage you that, you know, don't go to be a missionary and get there and hate it. You know, you want to do something that you really enjoy. Um, if you enjoy managing things like I do and telling people what to do, <laughs> then, you know, going and helping turn around a hospital is um, something. And also doing something that you have some experience with. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now we'd like to turn you into a group of missionaries that are overseas. Excuse me for a second here. And we're going to give you situations that are um, something that you might experience when you go, because that's why you're in this room, right? Because you're sensing the call to go, right? No? Yes? Some of you, yes? Brother over here. So what I'd like to do is um, kind of get you in, in some kind of a little groups. Maybe we could just kind of divide this over here from Frank and the gentleman over there that's going to go overseas somehow. If you could move over a little bit, and then this could be a group over here. And if you all could shift over a little bit, and, if I, and you could join this group over here. You're not going to be left out. Um, so if you could just kind of cluster together, you know, you're going to have to get up and move out of your seats, and you're just a little cluster right here, and then we got a little cluster over here, and if I can get Janelle and Cheryl to come up. And what we're going to do in your little groups, you're going to move over with this group, Frank, is we're going to bring you a real-life situation, and you're going to tell us how you're going to react to it. It's not going to be very good for those who are, happen to be listening in the future. Um, but you're going to discuss what you would do in this situation. Got a few more minutes. And then as we go through this discussion, what it's like. And, and then you're going to share with us what you would do in that situation. So that group's a little heavy-weighted. But that's a group right there. This is a group over here. we got three groups. OK, I'm going to have to break up your little groups. And, and just one spokesperson can stand up from each group, tell us what your scenario was, and what your response or solution was. And we're going to start with this group over here, because it's just the way I chose, no logical reason. So just one person, kind of stand up and tell us what the scenario was and how you interacted with that scenario. All right, we, uh, we started with scenario four, which is you're helping teach English at a local school. In an effort to exit the school, you step over on accident. The, uh, a young woman who's sitting cross-legged on the floor. It's a major cultural offense, and she feels violated. Her whole family, the school administration, the town officials are all involved. How do you reconcile? And we um, just talked about being humble, recognizing that you're in another culture. Your standards are not the right ones. Where you are there, you're, you don't try to explain to them why it's okay for you. You try to learn from them how you need to respond. Like, go to a, a, an outside party that is part of that culture and ask them, what can I do? I did not mean to do this. And then follow their advice, even if you may need to like, make a gift or sacrifice in some way. Okay. Now, you guys did the same one, right? So why don't you come uh, tell us your response, somebody. Apparently, you are the chosen spokesperson. Into both mics. You summarized it well. Um, I think the thing that you have to recognize is that um, most of these cultures do have a way of making amends, or as somebody pointed out in our group, one pays for the mishap that has made, been made. 
Um, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to find somebody who can tell you what has happened or why, why, it's, why this situation has create, been created. Um, you may have to find somebody who is going to serve as your mediator with the family or whoever it is that um, has been uh, insulted or whatever. And then you, you will have to go through the steps to make amends if you're going to establish any credibility uh, again in that community or with those people. Because until you do that, you will be viewed as outside of them and not really being a part of what they are. Hopefully then you will be able to then affect a change in their understanding, uh, of which of course is the foundation of the, of the plan of salvation. Yeah. Now it's kind of easy to say that, but you know, a lot of us, when we get into a different culture situation, our tendency is to try to change the other culture. You know, why do you do it that way? That's not the way you should do it. You should do it this way. But again, that whole learning process of we're visitors, and I appreciate what you said earlier about loving the people. Um, you know, I remember reading a mission book at some time in the past where it described how people look at the world in basically three categories. Um, people, places, and things. You know, uh, places is obviously scenery. We want to see Victoria Falls or something. Things are tools that we use to accomplish our work. Hammers, saws, typewriters, computers, whatever. And people, obviously, are people. But sometimes we look at people as either scenery or a tool. And we want to go to overseas to see those, you know, strange people and the way they live and their customs. And we're there almost as, you know, we're looking them, at them not as people, but as part of the scenery. Yeah, we need to learn to love people and to be there for them. Okay, this group here? No, no, you can't come up. You spoke already. No, that won't work. Well, ours was pretty good. I liked it. It was about um, what do you do if you're served food and it's been offered to an idol before or you're with someone who um, is, has the devil's influence on them. And we talked quite a bit about the food and kind of came up with not necessarily a set answer for every situation, but two possibilities. And the first one we talked about was talking to them about how you are uncomfortable with getting eating that food because it has been um, served to an idol and kind of making the amends like was mentioned before. And the second thing we talked about was going ahead and eating it if you feel like the Lord is impressing you that way. And um, just knowing that the Lord is so much more powerful than those idols even compared to be. So it's kind of two sides on that one. It was interesting. I appreciate it. All right, I'm going to ask John to come up and have closing prayer for us, maybe a last thought. But I also want to let you know on your seats are those red, um, pink papers. Those are, I guess, surveys. And so if you could um, fill them out and pass them back in in the back, they'll be collected. John? Thank you very much. If, uh, if you're interested in knowing what actually happened, in these, these are all real scenarios that really happened to our missionaries. If you want to know what happened, come see me at our booth, AFM booth. And uh, some of them are quite humorous. Um, some of them I think we did right. Some of them we didn't. And some of them we're not quite sure, but it, it turned out okay. But uh, that's mission life. So let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here. Thank you that I could be here. And um, I thank you for the emphasis that uh, Stephen just put on people. And as we bow our heads and we are transported before your throne, I want to bring my brothers and sisters that are here before you and ask that you, Jesus Christ, would intercede with us on behalf of those people who don't know you and, and may not ever have a chance to know you unless somebody goes. I pray you send your spirit to these people, that somehow they would hear you speaking to them, that they might have an opportunity to get a piece of literature, or that they would come across, just as Steve mentioned, 
um, someone who in the course of going shares a word in due season that they might become disciples. And I pray for those people, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Muslims, the Sikhs, the Jains, the Zoroastrians, the atheists, the animists, the secular people. Work on their hearts that they might be in your kingdom. And while you're doing that, work on ours. May each of us, myself in particular, but each of us, um, hear you clearly calling us, God, what is it you would have us to do? And we would respond, here we are, send us. In Jesus' name, amen.